Hi, this is Lily, and I'm a member of the Beacon Church. Welcome to our podcast. We have temporarily suspended our in-person service and will be broadcasting live via our Facebook page, Beacon Church, and on our website, beacon.church forward slash live on Sundays at 1030 a.m. until further notice. Beacon is a non-for-profit, and if you shop Amazon, you can support the work at Beacon by selecting the Beacon Church of Long Island as your supporting organization, and a small portion of every purchase will help move our work forward. Remember to shop smile.amazon.com and select the Beacon Church of Long Island as your supporting organization. Thank you and hope to connect with you soon. Well, things are getting real, real fast. I was thinking about the cabin fever uh, that uh, many of us are beginning to experience and uh, ends up there's actually a symptoms list for cabin fever. I did not know that this was a thing, but yep, here it is. So uh, when, when you hear some of the symptoms that might apply to you uh, during uh, this lockdown time, uh, just go ahead and, and, and raise your hand. So restlessness, there you go. If you're restless, that might be a sign of cabin fever, lethargy, sadness or depression, trouble concentrating. I'll take that one. Lack of patience, decreased motivation, frequent napping, that's an important one to remember. Changes in weight, which is a nice way of saying that we're all gaining weight, I think. Uh, inability to cope with stress. Go ahead, if any of those apply to you, go ahead and just, just raise your hand. I, I see those hands. Uh, I'm just kidding, I don't actually see your, your hands. I can only see a couple hands with the people that are, that are here. But yeah, I mean, my goodness, right? We're already beginning to experience things like that. So I have a helpful morning prayer for those who are, you know, in quarantine or in lockdown or sheltering in place or pressing pause. Uh, I have a um, little prayer for you. You may want to write this down, so go ahead and grab a pen. I will wait while you go grab it. Hopefully it's sanitized. All right, here it is. Ready? Dear Lord, so far I've done really well loving you and others. I haven't been frustrated with my kids or my spouse. I haven't lost my temper or made snarky remarks. I haven't been grumpy, nasty, selfish, or overindulgent. I haven't worried or obsessed over social media or news reports. And I'm really glad about that. But God, in a few minutes, I'm going to get out of bed. And I'm going to need a lot more help. Beacon, as a church, you guys have been absolutely amazing so far. Trevor listed a whole a lot of the things that we have already been able to do. We have small groups that are still meeting and offering comfort and community. And we're hosting prayer meetings and congregational meetings. And leadership meetings are continuing and, and all of that kind of stuff. And so... It has been a real encouragement. And to hear the stories, we have our first responders who are keeping strong in the faith. And we have this whole great group of medical people who are on the front lines of this thing. 
And they're offering the love of Christ along with their medical care. We have restaurant owners who are feeding hospital workers. And we have neighbors who are watching out for neighbors. And as your pastor, I am very proud of all of you and the stories that are coming in. And of course, uh, knowing you all so well, I would have expected uh, nothing less. This has been a huge encouragement, and of course, if you or if anyone you know is in need, please let us know how we can help. But as the days and weeks turn into weeks and months, and the handful of sick people grows to thousands, many who will die, the pain that we are experiencing will continue to grow more and more acute. The worry will weigh heavier. Fear will continue and increasingly steal our sleep. There are going to be cracks in our character that will become even more pronounced. And who we truly are will start to be more and more evident. The question is, will it, will it ooze out of us like pus out of an infection? Or... Will it shine out of us like the light of first dawn? At times like this, we really do get to see who we are and the work that God has been doing. Cabin fever is only the very beginning of our trials. And I want to help us get out ahead of some of the inevitable struggles that we are going to face. And so... You know, up till now, we've been, we've been focusing our messages on, on hope and peace and trust in God in the midst of fear. And I have no doubt that we will cycle back to many of these topics again and again in the upcoming weeks and months. For today, though, I want to offer us a warning and a challenge. So if you'd open in a Bible to Mark chapter 7, verse 14 we will get underway. Mark chapter 7, verse 14. See, what's out there doesn't hurt your relationship with God in here, in your heart. Jesus, he was always fighting with religious people, which is, you know, some of you might might feel that way. And maybe you've, somebody sent you this link. Uh, maybe a family member is asking you to watch this or a friend or something like that. And maybe you're not real big on uh, religious people and, and you, you often wouldn't mind uh, picking an argument with them. Well, you're in really good company because Jesus did this sort of a thing all the time. He gets into a debate with the religious leaders of his day. And uh, they're wondering why his followers don't follow the traditions of the elders or what you might call the traditions of men. And in this particular case, it's about hand washing. And they're saying, how come your disciples don't hand wash? Now, just for the record, I don't have to say it, but Jesus is not against hand washing, all right? If he were here today, he would be encouraging all of us to appropriately and regularly wash our hands because that is, of course, a way to love one another. And so that's not what this is about. But this was a ceremonial washing that the religious leaders used as kind of a marker to show that the Jewish people were different and, of course, in some ways better than the world around them and separated from the world and that this was something that would make God happy with you. If you were washing your hands, 
Well, that was one of the key things that mattered because you would be ceremonially clean. You would not be defiled. And Jesus had a very different take on what defiles us. So Mark chapter 7, starting in verse 14. Again, Jesus called the crowd to him and said, listen to me, everyone, and understand this. Nothing outside a person can defile them by going into them. Rather, it is what comes out of a person that defiles them. After he had left the crowd and entered the house, his disciples asked him about the parable. Are you so dull, he asked? Don't you see that nothing that enters a person from the outside can defile them? For it doesn't go into their heart, but into their stomach, and then out of the body. In saying this, Jesus declared all foods clean. So it doesn't matter what you eat, which is really great news for Bacon lovers, the Jews, of course, of that day and of many in this day, um, had uh, strict dietary rules. Bacon, of course, was not on that list. And so Jesus is coming on the scene and on the surface is simply saying, you can eat whatever you want. Though I probably would stay away from pangolins right now and bats and stuff like that. But you can eat absolutely Anything And those things don't actually make you unclean. They don't change your relationship with God. But I think we can extend this idea a little bit. You see, nothing out there can actually change your relationship with God. Nothing that happens to us will defile us or make God love us any less. There is no sickness, no virus that's going to change your relationship with God and his incredible love for you. No loss, no abuse that you have endured. There's no life circumstances. If you're not employed, if you haven't hit the markers of adulthood, if you're not married or you don't have kids or whatever, whatever you had set for your life goals, that the world has continued to tell you are essential, none of the things that are out there will change the way God feels about you. Many people, they look at their lives and they judge God's feelings for them on whether or not they're successful or wealthy or beautiful or talented. And these are all simply more traditions of men. See, if you don't have what society says is essential, and sometimes we wonder whether or not we can be blessed or whether or not God really loves us. Listen, if things happen to you, the things that go into you, that smack against you, none of it determines how God feels about you. None of it puts your relationship with God at risk. So what's out there doesn't hurt your relationship with God in here. But what's in here, in the heart, that will impact your relationship with God. Look what he says in verse 20. He went on, what comes out of a person is what defiles them. For it is from within, out of a person's heart, that evil thoughts come. Sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, Envy, slander, arrogance, and folly. All of these evils come from inside and defile a person. He has this idea here of 
evil thoughts. Evil thoughts, it's kind of an interesting word. It's a word that's often used in talking about a dialogue. And so it's as if you've got this conversation going on inside of your head. And, and you're thinking these things, and then you're thinking these things about the things that you're thinking, and then you're thinking these things about the things that you're thinking about the things, and on and on it goes. There's this internal dialogue, and it, and it can increasingly become evil. These are the evil thoughts. It's an internal dialogue that we can have with ourselves. And that's often why we fear or we worry or we doubt and why these things can grow in our hearts because if they are unchecked, they'll grab root and we'll talk about it, we'll think about it with ourselves, we'll go after it from this angle and that angle and that angle and before you know it, it has continued to grow and spread in the heart. Jesus goes on, he lists a sampling of the evil things that can come out of our hearts. So you might consider these symptoms of more advanced cases of cabin fever. He says sexual immorality. How is that showing up? Well, how many more folks are now binge watching shows that are sexually inappropriate? Just gives us a little bit of a rush. How many are now increasingly wrapped up in online porn? Some of the fastest, highest increases in porn use are going on right now, and New York is one of the top cities for watching online porn. The temptation, especially in the midst of idleness or stress, gets stronger and stronger. He mentions theft, and theft isn't simply taking something that isn't yours. It's, of course, that, but in the scriptures, it's also related to selfishness and even laziness. For instance, in Ephesians chapter 4, it says, anyone who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work doing something useful with their own hands, that they may have something to share with those in need. You see how he makes these connections. And selfishness starts showing up as people start hoarding food and supplies and thinking only about themselves and their own future, not willing to even put themselves at risk to help other people. This is the way selfishness begins to manifest. I wonder how much more we will selfishly grab our stuff and maybe even others as the pandemic worsens. He mentions murder. Now, Jesus himself likened murder to anger. He said, if you're angry, it's like you've already murdered in your heart. And this might be one of the most obvious of the cabin fever symptoms. You know, you, you might be... You might be angry at the system that failed us. You're angry at the president, or maybe you're angry at the governor. Maybe you're just angry at the schools for how they're running their online stuff. Maybe you're angry at people who are still out and about, or maybe you're angry at the people who are telling you you can't be out and about. You're angry that keep, people keep talking about flattening the curve, and you don't want to, and then others are refusing to flatten the curve. Maybe you're just simply getting angry at your spouse or at your kids because you've got so much proximity now. Or maybe you're just angry. Maybe the stress and the isolation is starting to sneak up on you and the frustration is starting to ooze out. He mentions adultery. And at first thought you might say, well, you know, maybe the virus will put like affairs and cheating and things like that on hold. And of course, in a way, it certainly would, though I imagine 
online emotional affairs, affairs are skyrocketing. But it won't surprise you that researchers tell us that divorces increase after major crises. The marriages aren't strong enough to endure. I'd read a story this week. Uh, somebody was talking about how uh, different uh, they were from their spouse, and they described uh, the husband as a thermos. And so no matter what happens, whether the, he, he's hot or cold inside, you can't tell. The thermos just keeps that a secret. And she described herself as a mood ring, that no matter what happened, you immediately saw it. How many of us are experiencing that tension because the people that we're living with or the people that we're communicating with are responding to this crisis differently from us? Well, obviously, they're doing it wrong. And so we get frustrated and it starts to hurt and tear down the relationship. How do we get to respect each other's differences and honor each other's strengths and weaknesses? Greed. Already there is great fear about lost investments and despair about the money and what am I getting out of this you know, $2 trillion bailout and all that kind of stuff. There's malice, wishing, which means to wish harm on another person. And we know from researchers that when people are confined down, when they're hunkered down with just a, a few people, that conflict starts to rise. They've seen this on uh, the space station and on, solar and on polar uh, research facilities and things like that. All of this increasing conflict. These are all warning signs of things going on in our heart. I'm not going to go through all of these. He talks about deceit and lewdness and envy, slander, arrogance. Arrogance, I saw kind of show up. One, one of the things I was reading, there was a, a woman who had a whole car filled with groceries. I mean, just absolutely packed with groceries. And, uh, you know, of course, people came by and they saw this, uh, whole, this whole thing filled with uh, all of these groceries that, of course, looked like she was hoarding all of, all of these items. And, uh, you know, as you kind of look at it, you're like, oh, my goodness, who would need that much stuff? And so she was, the pictures were taken, and she was just ripped on social media. And then you come to find out that she was actually making a grocery run for six other families, uh, that she had had all of their lists, and she was going through all the details, and she was home. She spent a whole day uh, going through, breaking them up, making the deliveries, people who were sick or who were already isolated and people it wasn't safe for them to come out. You know, that's what happens though. We start to see these things and we jump to conclusions and arrogance and judging others starts to become a normal part. He talks about folly and, you know, this sort of folly isn't simply foolishness, though um, I think by the looks of social media, there's plenty of that going on. Uh, but this word points us toward a rejection of God. The fool says in his heart that there is no God. And so that's kind of what this word means. And I think as this pandemic worsens, we're going to see increased frustration and hostility toward God since he's a very easy one to blame. We can add plenty of symptoms to this list. Worry, anxiety, and a whole bunch of other stuff. But the point is here that you can use this list as a diagnostic tool by which to examine our own hearts. And with even a little bit of self-reflection, I think there is little doubt that we will find these kinds of things starting to kick around in our own hearts. And once we see that, it starts awakening us to a really frightening reality. 
which is that these things are actually already in our hearts and it seems as if there isn't much we can do about them. Listen, you can keep cabin fever at bay. You can binge watch TV, try to get away from it all. You can stay up too late or you can sleep in too late. You can drink too much or eat too much. You can distract yourself with all sorts of things like news or social media. Which, by the way, if you really do that, if you're really going to distract yourself with social media, at least make it super interesting for the rest of us who are trying to distract ourselves with social media. Like, do cool stuff like decorate your toilet, which I know sounds odd, but it's really fun if you can come up with some very clever ones to post out there and give us at least a momentary chuckle. But here's the thing. None of these things are actually going to help. And many of them can actually hurt the heart problem. See, we, what we need here is we need, we need two gifts from God. And both of them are seen in a famous psalm, Psalm 51. Open up, if you would, flip over there to Psalm 51. This psalm is so powerful because it was written after the terrible sins of the great king of Israel, King David. He had committed adultery and he had murdered. Two other things that were on our list and he had actually done those things and his sin was grievous. And this psalm was written after he was confronted with his sin. And it shows us how we can deal with this heart sickness. Psalm 51, starting in verse 1. It says, have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love. According to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So you were right in your verdict and justified when you judge. Surely I was sinful at birth. Sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Yet you desired faithfulness even in the womb. You taught me wisdom in that secret place. Cleanse me with hyssop and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sin and blot out all my iniquity. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. You see, we, the first gift that God gives us is we need a new heart. We need a new heart. That's the first gift. So how do we get that new heart? Well, we have to admit our sin like David did in verses three through verse five. The sin has to be exposed, has to be brought to light. Once it's, it, once it's exposed, once we've admitted it, once we've agreed with God that these things in our heart are no good and that we actually don't want them, then we can actually be cleansed. And this is kind of an interesting idea here. You see in verse seven, he says, cleanse me with hyssop and I will be clean. And of course, most of us are thinking of what's hyssop, right? Because, you know, we don't really know what this is referencing, of course. But when you start to go into other parts of the scripture, you will see what hyssop is all about. It's really just a, it's a shrubby 
Uh, it's a shrubby little bush, hyssop. But it had a very important use. There are some verses that uh, we're not going to look at now, but you can write them down and go check them out later. But as you see hyssop showing up, it'll show up in the temple where they were using hyssop to dip in the blood of the sacrifice and to sprinkle it on things that needed to be cleansed. You see in the, the writer of Hebrews uses it as well to describe a similar thing. But it shows up in its sort of archetype during the, the first Passover when Israel was enslaved in Egypt. And there they were in this dire situation and God had promised that he was going to bring them out of Egypt. And the way he was going to do that was to bring a, an incredibly horrific plague upon Egypt. The death of the firstborn. The way the Israelites were going to escape the plague was that it was very clear instructions. They had to gather in their homes and they had to sacrifice an animal, a lamb, the sacrificial lamb. They were going to take the blood of the sacrificial lamb and they were going to take hyssop and they were going to dip it in the blood and then they were going to cover the door frames of their house with the blood of the sacrifice. The hyssop was going to be the tool used to spread the blood. And when the avenging angel saw the blood on the doorposts, he would pass over their homes. And in that way, the Israelites were saved and were redeemed and freed from their slavery in Egypt. And later on in the scriptures, we find out that that sacrificial lamb that the, the Jewish people used in that day, it was, a, it was a placeholder. It was a promise of a greater sacrificial lamb. It was a promise that the Christ would come, a savior would come, and he would pay the penalty due for our sin. And that we now can take the hyssop and sprinkle his blood as a protection over our lives. See, this is a promise that we can ask for forgiveness and that it's already been secured for us in Christ. Because the source of our forgiveness, our Passover, is Jesus. And then in verses 10 through 11, you can trust God to purify our hearts because that's what we really need. So are you struggling with sin in your heart? Maybe you have already begun seeing it seep out into your relationships and into the way you think. Maybe it's directed toward your kids or maybe it's spilling out into your social media. You see, we have a heart problem and we need a new heart and we can get it if we will trust in the sacrifice of Christ, if we will recognize our sin and our brokenness and we will trust in the work of Jesus Christ. That's the first gift. The second gift is that we need another voice in our heads. We need another voice in our heads. You know that social isolation can actually make you go just a little bit crazy, right? We saw that in uh, Mark chapter 7 just a little bit earlier, those evil thoughts. It's like an internal dialogue 
that can actually make us go a little crazy because we're so busy talking to ourselves about ourselves. It's very hard to get an outside perspective in that way. So my family is part of our uh, social distancing and coping mechanisms. We have been working through the Hobbit and Lord of the Rings trilogy. So we've been spending a whole lot of time with uh, Gollum. And if you're familiar with the stories, you know one of Gollum's hallmark characteristics is that he just, he keeps talking to himself. He's Gollum and he is Smeagol and he goes back and forth and he's arguing with himself and he can't really see outside of himself because of all of the great years of isolation that he has endured. And here in Psalm 51, we have a promise. Look at verse 11. He says, do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. You see, with a new heart, we get the Holy Spirit. Another voice is now added into the conversation. One that can give us an outside perspective. It can give us God's perspective on what's going on in our heart. And so now, not only can we receive the new heart that we need, we have the power of the Holy Spirit living in us, and that voice will continue to help purify our hearts so that when we see these things starting to well up, when we see the symptoms starting to gain a foothold, if we are quiet in soul and we listen to the Holy Spirit, that voice will become clearer than our worry and clearer than our fear. It will become eventually even louder. And we will begin to hear the heart of God through the power of the Holy Spirit in us. This is an incredible gift to have the voice of God speaking into our heart condition. Not only are we promised the new heart, but we have this incredible gift of the spirit that we can rely on. As long as we do not silence that voice, as long as we, when we hear it, we listen to it, we will become increasingly sensitized to the sound of that voice and to the inherent authority that it holds because we will know that it is right and true. And it will purify us in these powerful ways. See, this is how in the upcoming weeks and months we will be able to continue to endure and increase even in, the, in, in becoming more and more transformed into the image of Christ. I'm going to ask the band to come on up. They're going to be leading us in another worship song. And as they come up and as we get ready to turn our hearts toward reflecting on the power of Christ toward this end, I want to just encourage each and every one of you, if you're hearing this and you're saying, I'm not sure I have that new heart, then I'm asking you, I'm encouraging you to turn your heart toward your Passover lamb. Surrender your life fully and completely to him. And if you're struggling, you're starting to see these things come up, then, then admit those sin issues in your heart. Admit them, confess them, deal with them. And ask for the power of the Spirit. Take time each day to listen, to reflect, to examine your heart and let the voice of God 
through the power of the Spirit, examine your heart and encourage you toward living more and more like Christ. Would you pray with me? Lord, I'm just asking that you would do this very thing. You would fill each and every one of us here with the power of your Spirit. Lord, there are people who are watching this, who are listening to this, Lord, who have never yet surrendered their lives to you. And they're wondering, Father, why it is that they're continuing in a spiral down. Lord, it is not your will, your desire for them. This very crisis is a clarion call to surrender our lives to you and to reach out to the one who promises us hope and life, even in the midst of heartache and death. We pray that each and every person listening would become more sensitive to the voice of the Spirit, teaching us, encouraging us, so that we might be more and more like Jesus, so we might learn to love our Father and love each other in the incredible and sacrificial ways that Jesus loves. Amen.